All right, be honest with me, be honest with me. How many of you are just ready to wrap it up and head to five guys? <laughs> so let's roll. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I, I am so glad you've come out to join us. For those of you that are online joining us, we're glad that you're out tonight, that you've come to worship, that you've taken time out of your schedule. We're diving into this series called Burgers with Jesus, and what we're going to look at are those times where Jesus spent time with people eating. And he did that a lot. We're going to dig into this story here in a little bit with Matthew of, of what that meant. Now, I want to give a big shout-out to Chuck and to Debbie. Um, huge shout-out to them and their team for serving us burgers tonight. Big, big, big thank you for that. Um, I, I thought I had friends in my kingdom men group on Monday night, but I had two of them that asked me, it's like, hey, dude, did, did you all plan this for like burgers and that so you could bribe people to come because you're speaking tonight? <laughs> I was like, hey, if it works, it works. <laughs> and it looks like it worked because <laughs> we got a bunch of people here. Got a bunch of people. If we'd have had like Ruth's Chris or Jeff Ruth, maybe we'd fill the house. How about that next time, Dr. Jim? We do that? You foot the bill? No? Okay. All right. We are so glad, so glad that you guys have come. Now, I want to pose a question for you to ponder, okay? And we'll talk a little bit, but I want you to think about this question. What is it about grub? What is it about grub? If you think about it, the next couple of months, November through December, there will be more food bought, more food consumed, more food thrown away than, in any other, than at any other time of the year. The two biggest eating holidays stuffed in these months of Thanksgiving and Christmas. And for those of us that are already struggling with our weight going into the season, it's going to parlay into a long, long couple of months. Food will abound. There will be food at life groups. There will be food at family gatherings. There will be food at office parties. There will be food at church. There will be food at places you least expect it. Roll that around. What is it about grub that makes folks come together? Now, as I mentioned, there are numerous times throughout Jesus' ministry where he used the setting of a meal to teach some difficult truths. And I think that's one of the beauties of food is that it breaks down barriers a lot of times. It breaks down these walls that may have been built up because it puts us all on common ground. It's kind of like, yeah, we're just going to have a meal together and ever so often, you know. Did you ever do that with your kids? Take them out and say, hey, we're going to go out for And then you slide in a zinger or two here or there where they're really messing up. Yeah, we do that. We do that. Every time you turn around, it seems like this fellow Jesus is eating. And, and to be honest, Hasty and I, when we talked about this about a month ago, I, I went in his office and said, man, you got to tell me what we're going to do with this series. Why, what are we going to talk about with this Burgers with Jesus? We started talking about it. And, and I threw out this idea. I said, Jesus is eating all the time. All the time he's eating. How come he's always skinny? I mean, you look at every picture that's ever grown of it, he is always skinny. Always skinny. Never has a dooley. That's a double chin for those of you in the <laughs> north of Mason-Dixon line. Was it the wardrobe? Maybe. Maybe he had good genes. And what you always hear, I mean, he was God's son. 
Seriously, on, on, on a more serious note, there is really something disarming about gathering for a meal with friends and family. When my kids were little, I didn't get to pick them up very often from school. Um, made no sense for me to go take them to school or pick them up. They went to school where their mother taught as well. So they all just rode together back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. But on the rare occasion, dad would go pick them up. We had the standard fare. You know, you ask, well, how'd your day go? And you got a grunt. Did you learn anything today? And you might get a sigh or, or one of those dandy eye rolls. Really, dad, come on, what are you doing? And really, it got down to it. It's just kind of like, just play the radio and be quiet and, and don't worry about it. And just let it be. When our house had all changed in just a couple of hours, Kathy and I, when we were raising our children, we kind of had some old school principles um, that we had enacted. And we just kind of were like, this is what's expected. This is what we do. Um, this is what we're going to do as a family. And one of those was we sat down at the dinner table together. We just did. Come 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, whatever time mama got the grub together, we, we sat down as a family together to eat. And the only excuse you had was you either had ball practice or you had play practice at school or you had some kind of church activity. You had something that took you away from home and you could physically not be there. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and you all know this. I have enjoyed the empty nest a lot. Kathy and I were married six years, almost six years before Elizabeth showed up. So it was like a huge, huge shift for us, figuring out children, that they're involved now, and everything that goes with that. So when our children went away to school, some of you are like, well, are you going to be sad? Are you, are you kidding? I get their mother back. I haven't had her for 21 years. I get their mother back. She's mine, all mine. And part of that all mine was we got lazy. We would fix dinner and we would go downstairs to the basement, to the big TV, and we'd sit in a lazy boy, we'd put our feet up, we'd watch a couple of shows, gather the plates, go upstairs, wash, tidy up, get ready for bed, go to sleep, and do it all over the next day. Well, that's all fine and dandy until the kids came home. First couple of times they showed up and Man, we're still in an empty nester thing. You all do your thing. We good. We're doing our thing in the basement. Just leave us alone. We dealt with you for 21 years. One of the most amazing things happened. They actually came to us and said, can we sit at a table and eat together again? There is something, something about food that draws people together. Tonight we're going to be looking at this story of Matthew. It comes from Matthew chapter 9. If you want to grab your Bible and have that ready, we're going to dig in and we're going to have dinner with Jesus and Matthew and, and a bunch of his friends. But the first scene that we show that shows up that, that has to take place before we get to the dinner is this call that Matthew has. Okay, so we have this call. Matthew Matthew gets this call. 
Now, Matthew's story is told by three out of the four Gospels. Mark includes it in his Gospel in chapter 2. Luke includes it in his Gospel in chapter 5. And then Matthew tells his own story in his own Gospel of chapter 9. So when you go back and look at Mark and Luke's Gospel, and I need you, if this is kind of new to you and you don't really know the whole Jesus thing in that, I want you to think, okay, I, need, I want to go back and look at this parallel passage. I need you to understand, Mark and Luke called Matthew by a different name. They called him Levi. All right, same dude, just a different name. I mean, some people called me Johnny T. Some people called me Beef. Some people called me a whole lot of other worse things. Um, you know, some of them just got different. But they called him Levi. That's, that's how they addressed him. So when you go and look at it, don't be confused, but I want us to listen to, to, to his call from Jesus there in, in Matthew chapter 9. Can we have Matthew chapter? Here we go. As Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, all three gospels that show this, Mark, Luke, and Matthew, all put this calling of Jesus following a specific miracle that Jesus has just done. Many of us remember the story when we were little. We were in Sunday school and, and the four buddies brought their dude, their, their buddy that was paralyzed and, and they brought him to the house and they couldn't get in because of the great crowd. So they cut a hole in the roof and they let him down. And Jesus looked at him and said, oh, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, okay, the religious leaders of that day absolutely lost their mind. They had a tizzy fit like you have never seen a tizzy. Now, who in the world, has, that is blasphemy. Who has authority to forgive sin? And Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, to show you that I have authority to forgive sin, why don't you just take up your mat and walk? And what did he do? He rolled up his mat, put it under his arm, and out the door he went. So we have this, this setting right before that. And right after that, we have this call of Matthew. So Jesus and his disciples have just done this. Now they're going through and they pass Matthew's tax collector booth and they look at him and he just simply says, follow me, follow me. And what's Matthew do? Uh, hang on a minute, Jesus, I'm having a really good day. How about you come back tomorrow? No. Hey, let me, let, me, let, me, let me think about this. Let me think about the consequences. Let me think about, okay, if I leave this and I follow you and this doesn't work, man, I, woo. The other dudes over there, they fish, they can go back to work. I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm sunk. Wait, no, wait. Matthews was an immediate following of Jesus. No questions asked, no hesitation done. He simply drops everything that he had and he followed Jesus. Now, what is it about us? What keeps us from responding the way Matthew just responded? See, now the role of the tax collector was really simple. These individuals would sit at Paths of commerce. And, and I was thinking, that how do we make this a modern-day modern day example? And the best thing I thought of was, okay, you're coming from Kentucky. You're hauling a load of taters. You get to the bridge in Indiana. There's going to be a tax collector there. And he is going to take your money. 
Now, the problem is he's not only going to take your money, of which the Roman government expected, the tax collector was going to pad his own pocket. So he was going to charge extra. So, I mean, to say this dude was despised was probably putting it pretty lightly. They were some of the most hated people in the entire region. And Matthew had doubled that up. See, because Matthew had sold himself out. Matthew was Jewish by descent. Matthew was also Jewish by religion. And here he had given himself up to the Roman government, the enemy, to collect their taxes. So he was hated and despised. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. Here we have Jesus. He's on this mission collecting these 12 fellows that he's going to have follow him over the next three years. And he passes by this tax collector booth and he picks somebody from the most hated profession. Now from the outside looking in, that doesn't make any sense at all. And I'm sure from the inside looking out, it doesn't make any sense either. You know what they're thinking. Jesus, what are you thinking? And then the reality is we've all been there. We've been there at some point. What in the world were they thinking about hiring him? How in the world did she make the team and my little Lucy didn't? Who do they think they are coming in here? It takes a lot of gall for them to show up here in the midst of this. We've all had that judgmental character at times in our life. Now Matthew has a profound response to Jesus' simple invitation. He got up and he followed. No questions asked, no excuses needed, no delay. He simply follows. What would our life look like if we lived it like Matthew with reckless abandon? Got a little card on my desk. It says you don't have to be afraid of the future when you know who holds it. If you truly believe that Jesus holds your life in order and in balance and in all of that, what is it that keeps us from recklessly following him like Matthew did? Now, as we close out this section of Matthew's call, I want you to, I want you to look at two questions. First off, I want you, do you remember where you were when Jesus called you? And then secondly, what was your response? Just chew on that for a minute. Do you remember where you were when Jesus called you? And what was your response? The second scene of our story starts getting into the heart of this series, this idea of burgers with Jesus, of us dining with Jesus, of eating with Jesus. And there we see the dinner that actually takes place. As I mentioned earlier, when most of us, you know, when you mention foods involved, we're there. Maybe even a little bit early so we don't miss out. Let me tell you what, I've never seen a line. <laughs> like there was a line for burgers tonight. You all, you all were pouring out for burgers tonight. Some of us live by the old adage, call me whatever you want, just don't call me late to dinner. We've been there. 
Many of you, if you grew up in my generation or generations ahead of me, you might remember one of the rules in many of our homes. Don't come home till dark or dinner. It's kind of a rule. Whichever came first, depending on the time of year. We played outside. Some of us remember that. We come home flat wore out, so filthy, you probably should have had a bath before you sat down to eat. In Matthew's call, we see this big, big, big dinner taking place. Look at verse 10 with me. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So Matthew gets this call from Jesus to follow him. Matthew drops everything and follows Jesus. Without delay, Matthew hosts this dinner with all of his friends. You have to remember, because of Matthew's former occupation of being a tax collector, his choice of friends is pretty limited. It's not like he's going to go out and just invite dudes off the street or maybe even his family. His family probably even abandoned him over that. But he's got to go back to his fellow tax collectors, and the Scripture calls them also sinners. And in the midst of that, they come together. But that's exactly what Jesus was looking for. See, the friends we see showing up at Matthew's dinner are those people that we would consider to be outcasts. Maybe in today's world, they might be called the forgotten or the left outs, or those that seemingly no one wants anything to do with unless you're one of them. And therein lies the issue for so many of us. So many of us have forgotten or don't remember the gravity of sin in our own lives. The fact that our sin separated us from God. You see, sin is sin in God's eyes, and no one has ever been sinless except Jesus. Romans chapter 3, Paul told us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then he tells us the wages of sin is death. And it happens so often. We have watched it. We've probably experienced it. We've become a Christian, and we walk away from the life that we used to live, the sin that used to dominate our lives, that sin that used to drive our lives, and we forget that we were once them. The forgotten, the left outs, the tax collectors, the sinners, all those people that Matthew kept referring to, all of those people who were outside of God's grace, all of those that had not made a decision to follow Jesus or had an opportunity to make a decision to follow Jesus. And the problem? When you cut to the core, the problem is usually we get comfortable. We get comfortable in the kingdom. We come to church with like-minded people. We come to church with people of the same values. We come to church with people who think like us. We come to church with people who dress like us. And we get comfortable. And when we get comfortable, we forget about them, of which we were once were. We've seen that. You've seen people who become a Christian. Man, they are on fire. 
They find that joy and peace in the fulfillment in life that Jesus has promised us. They talk to everybody they can. They invite everybody that will listen to them and they will talk Jesus with them. They are tearing it up for Jesus and then they get comfortable. And when we get comfortable, we quit inviting. I'm going to put a shameless plug in for my boys. Chaz, I want you to stand up right there. It's my boy Chaz. He's our new high school pastor, Chaz Waters. Give my buddy a hand. His partner in crime is over on the other side dealing with our middle school. Or is Silas in here? Silas in here? Sometimes Silas is in here. Silas in here? Silas is not in here. Silas is with him tomorrow or on Sunday night. I want to tell you about something that's going to happen. We're doing what's called motion night. Okay, there's going to be activities. There's going to be worship. There's going to be the sharing of the gospel. And these guys have gone out into the schools. They have had our students inviting friends. They have had, they are, I was here one and it was nuts. Okay, I did student ministry 25 years ago. Let me tell you, they'd have to have some bail money for me today to do it. It's messy. It's messy. It's messy because they are messy. Sin is messy. It's not pretty. And we've got to get that in our minds. Sometimes there's going to be dirt on folks who come in here, and we've got to be okay with that. And we've got to be okay with that, that we're going to have maybe 150, 200, 253. Dude, I'm saying let's bring 500 kids in here. Let's rock it out. It's going to be messy, and yeah, the building's going to be a disaster. <laughs> but I'm not talking that kind of messy. We're talking kids who don't know Jesus messy. And they're going to get a chance to hear what Jesus did for them. So if you have a student as a former youth pastor whose heart still beats for kids even though he wants to kill them. <laughs> if you have a student, 5th grade to 12th grade, be here. 6.30, 6 o'clock, 6.30. I don't know. Just bring them, drop them off. Chaz will take care of them. <laughs> Seriously, I implore you, implore you to get your children involved with that. So, with all of that, yes, dealing with unchurched, dealing with sinners, dealing with all that, it is uncomfortable. We've got to get past that. We've got to get past that because here's the reality of it. I think this is the reality that we often forget. Somebody got past the uncomfortable with us or we wouldn't be here. It's no more difficult than that. It's really, really not. So, kind of as I want to pose another question for you here as we close out this. What will you Matthew opened his home and said, come on. What will you do in your life 
to show other people Jesus. So we got the call. I can't even remember what my second point was now. Sheesh. These things to get old. The whole thing is about, Jonathan, the dinner. <laughs> Move to the third scene, which we're, gonna, we're just, we're just going to call it the disapproval. <laughs> I love this. Um, you ever gotten a stink eye? Most of us have. Sometimes it was mama. You get to stink eye for being an idiot in public and embarrassing her. She's like, if I could put my hands on you, boy. Ooh. Sometimes it's your wife. Because again, you've done something stupid in public. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell on myself. <laughs> One of my favorites was we used to shop together all the time, pre-kids. And even occasionally when we did have kids, we, we would go grocery shop together. Well, I always rode the grocery cart. I mean, you know, it's full of groceries, and I was always one of those dudes that parked as far out as you could so you didn't get a door dang. I ain't walking, man. I get on that bad boy, and I'm like, whew, 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 whew. <laughs> My beautiful wife, she just looked at me. She go, are you kidding me? I've gotten to the age now, though, I'm like, man, if I wipe out, that's a broken hip. We might need to reconsider that. So, so I don't do that anymore. But we've all had that. We, we have all had that. And in our story, Jesus and his disciples are really, really getting the stink eye treatment from the Pharisees because of their participation in this dinner gathering. Look here in verse 11 with me. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and the sinners? When the Pharisees saw what? Well, yeah, that was what caused them to ask a question. Jesus in their eyes was lowering himself to a place that he should have never gone. He was spending time with people that he shouldn't have been spending time with, let alone reclining and having dinner with them. What in the world is he thinking he should be above that? And I don't know that it is possible for us to truly read into or express the depth of disdain that the Pharisees have in expressing this question for Jesus and his disciples because they abhorred the fact that Jesus lowered himself to their level. They saw themselves as being so far above that. I find it amusing that the Pharisees ask the disciples this question. I have to wonder if this is the same group of Pharisees that just left where Jesus had done the healing and had been chastised. If this is the same ones, well, probably why they did, they asked the disciples. Why in the world would they go at it again? Why in the world would they do? So they asked them. But Jesus, knowing the intent of their heart, calls them out. And he tells them. Now, some of us are sitting back there going, yeah, give it to them. But the reality is how many of us look like that? How many of us look like the Pharisees did? We know them. They're the self-righteous. 
They're what we called in college the holier than thou's. There's always a little, and they let you know there's a little. But the sad reality is, is if we will step back and we will take a good, hard heart check, too often we can find ourselves there if we're not careful. It's so easy to find ourselves into that trap. There are always going to be people who question what you are doing with sinners. Why would you spend time with them? Why would you even give them the time of day? There will always be people questioning and showing and expressing disapproval. The sad reality is, Chad, you're going to catch some flack, dude. Just going to tell you right now. Hopefully it's none of our people. If it is, I may take you out behind the barn. <laughs> but there'll be people in the community, why? Why, why would you do that? Why would you spend that money? Why would you feed those kids? Why would you even mess with it? They're, 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 they're beyond hope. Why? And those that ask have often forgotten that they were there once themselves. A sinner in need of a savior. Or we fail to remember the true gravity of sin. In the wages we talked about just a minute ago. You see, that's why we spend time with them. That's why we eat dinner with them. That's why we hold motion nights with them. Because we remember Paul's teaching to the church at Rome. Where he says, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So again, I want to ask a question for you to mull over. Do you need a heart adjustment like the Pharisees did? Do you need a heart adjustment like the Pharisees? I'm going to tell on myself again. Um, I've got a buddy that I've been walking a very, very difficult road with for about the last two and a half years. Um, young man who had, I won't say grown up in the church here, but he'd been around here 20 years and I'd never met him before. Very rare if you know me. I usually figure out who you are at some point. I'll just go out of my way to introduce myself. Hey, how are you? Who are you? Whatever. 20 years he'd walked in this building, 20 years he'd walked out, and I'd never met him before. But two and a half years ago, he came to me on a Thursday night. We sat right out there in the commons, and he said, dude, I need help. Tell me what's going on, man. He says, I am an alcoholic, and it is going to kill me if I don't figure this out. So for two and a half years, we have walked that road together. Two and a half years sober. So proud of my buddy. So proud of my buddy. And we meet on a regular basis. We used to meet weekly. We're not, we haven't done that for a while now. Um, but we met this past Tuesday, and we, we sat down, and we were just talking. And this dude has a passion, a burning passion for people dealing with addiction. That's where he was at. That was his life. 
And he has cornered it into this little bitty wedge of homeless people dealing with addiction. And he's like, I want to do something. I want to do something. I want to make a difference. I want to get Bibles in their hands so that they can see and they can hear and I can teach them and share with them the Jesus that saved me from this mess. And your pastor got a God smack. So I looked at him and said, Bubba, I said, you ever heard the, the, the scripture, don't cast your pearls before the swine? <laughs> and then I started digging in this text. I was like, you pharisaical rascal, you. Who am I to say if one out of a hundred or one out of a thousand finds Jesus? Who are you to say that that's casting pearls before swine? Shame, shame, shame on me. And I'd done it with good intentions, at least I thought, until God hauled off and... But occasionally we all got need, we need that. We need that. All right, let's look at our fourth scene. Fourth scene that we see is this correction that takes place. When Jesus went to correct them, he had every right to go full scorched earth on them. They deserved it. Their intentions were not pure. They were self-righteous snobs. They were the holier than thou. They had underhandedly asked the disciples rather than, one, rather than the one they had a specific issue with. And Jesus responds in a way that made perfect sense in simple terms that could not be under, misunderstood. In verse 12, he, he responds to them. On hearing this, Jesus said, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick? It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick people. And this makes perfect sense to me. If you're healthy, why you got to go to the doctor? But again, I am a man. We're a little, just throwing us under the bus, dudes, we're dumb when it comes to health care. But that's true for most of us. In fact, several years ago, when Hayes came on as our, our lead pastor, um, man, it's been 18 years now. Wow. Where does time go? We were just sitting down having conversation. We just talk shop, talk life, raising kids, right in the middle and the thick of it. And uh, just some health discussion. He's like, dude, when did you go to the doctor last? And I was like, hmm, I don't remember. He said, well, you know, what do you mean you don't remember? I don't know. I've not had a gout attack, and I can't remember when. That's the only time I went to the doctors, get some medicine, make it better. What, what do I need to go if I'm healthy? <laughs> he was like, uh-huh. So I 
got a little chastisement about that. And um, I don't know, about three or four years later, I got a good case of the shingles. Whew. I'd avoid the shingles if you can. Not cool. Not cool because they're not cool and they hurt like, I don't know that I've had anything hurt like that. But it made me go to the doctor every year now. But there's a reason for that. 55 years old, I'm not healthy like I used to be. Got blood pressure problems, got the gout. The gout stinks too. But doctors are there for the sick. Now it's just all simply Jesus. They need a doctor. And that's why we often hear him called the great physician. Because not only can he heal the body and the mind, but he can take care of our greatest need and of our soul. Then Jesus throws them a curveball. He starts with that, and then he comes back to this other in verse 13. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Now, why is this response more scathing? Well, if you understand who the Pharisees are, the Pharisees were actually the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees were the ones that should have known the word of God. And all Jesus did was quote from the prophet Hosea. You know this, you know this truth, but go learn what that means. Learn what that means. So what is it to have mercy and want mercy more than sacrifice? I think it comes down to us understanding we live in a world that is lost, dying, and going to hell unless we share with them Jesus. And here's the reality, folks. We are plan A, and there is no plan B. It's our job. That's our task that we've been given. Father, I thank you for Matthew's story. A man who, according to the world, had it by, just had life by the time. I mean, he had all the money he could have ever wanted, ever dreamed of, had security within the Roman government. And your son simply looked at him and said, Follow me. And he left it all. God, may our hearts do that. May we look at what is it that's keeping us from truly being a follower, a disciple of Jesus. And we all have it. We all have got something that's just 
tugging, holding, just enough. Father, may we all, may we all become more like your son, Jesus, who didn't look at prestige, who could care less about who he was with. God, may we become more like him. May we see the world the way that he sees us.